joy is more than a feeling, which God loves our feelings and cares about our feelings. But joy is a knowing. It's knowing where to turn. It's knowing whose we are. It's knowing that that plan that He spoke over your heart has not evaporated into thin air. It's knowing that everything that God has ever spoken over your heart is still there and still true. There were moments for me that choosing joy was impossible, but choosing Jesus, I could do that. Hey guys, it's Melissa Moore. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of Faith, Hope, Love, where we grow together in our faith, increase in hope, and learn how to better love God and love other people. We are in our Momentum series right now. We've talked about moving on from the things that hold us back and, and keep us away from Jesus. And right now we're in our moving forward section where we, we've learned to put our eyes on Jesus and, and start moving forward in our race. So today we have a special guest, Suzanne Eller, and she is the author of Joy Keeper as well as Spirit Led Heart. And I'm just so excited to um, hear from her directly what it looks like for us to live in the Holy Spirit and be able to enjoy joy. So um, thank you, Suzanne, just for joining us on the show today. If you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about you. I'd love to. You know, they have Suzanne on the title of this book. My friends call me Susie, so please do. And, um, you know, what is there to tell? Like, I love Jesus. <laughs> um, my life has been so impacted by him, and some days I just pinch myself that for the last 20 years, I've got to share who he is and to come alongside women and cheer them on in their faith. Um, I wasn't raised in the church. So knowing Christ completely changed the trajectory of my life. And um, other, than, other than that, just to say that I'm a mom, I'm a grandma of six littles, although they're not so little anymore. And I, um, I just appreciate how, I mean, we talk in this series, it's based off of Hebrews 12 verses one through three, and it talks about this great cloud of witnesses that we're able to, you know, be cheered on by these people, the people of faith in chapter 11. But I think that also includes people of faith that have kind of paved the way before us as well. And I really believe your books are just a great way for women to be encouraged and to be able to understand the impact that the Holy Spirit has the potential to have in our lives. So I think you've really done that so well in, in all of your books, but especially these two. Um, I would love to kind of hear um, what, um, maybe a little bit about each of these books and what really inspired you to write them. Sure. You know, I, I wrote this Spirit-Led Heart because we make this beautiful promise that Jesus gave us so complicated. And it's not. Jesus said, I will give you a helper, you know? And when I look at the Trinity, I look at it this way. God loves us. Jesus rescued us. And the Holy Spirit helps us be able to share those two beautiful promises with the world and to live it in a way that they're drawn to him. It's, it's not really any more complicated than that. And so when I look at, especially now, where we're living now and how what we're facing over the last few years, um, we need to embrace, not just embrace this promise as true for us, but to live this promise. And so I wrote that book to demystify this and then second to help us live that promise. 
and then Joykeeper. So Joykeeper was actually written in a in a time that um, I labeled scarred. <laughs> you know, have you ever been in a time, Melissa, where every time you you make it through something big or hard? you get throat punched with something else. You know, you're just almost there. You you see normalcy and then all of a sudden unwanted news or a, a, a huge mountain comes your way. And I was in that season and I began to think that uh, of another promise that Jesus made and that is that I will give you my joy. He didn't say I will give you joy. He said, I will give you my joy and this joy can't be taken from you. Well, in order for me to live that promise, I needed to redefine joy from a temporary feeling or a temporary circumstance to what I knew inside of me. As I begin to study this biblical definition of joy, it's completely different than what we assign it um, in culture. And this is joy that is so deeply rooted. Jeremiah uh, 17, 7 through 8 talks about this that not only um, when you go through that heat and that drought, not only do you survive it, you don't come out of that, this little shriveled stick, you know, that made it through the heat and drought, but you have leaves, you are fruitful, you are alive. And that season that was meant to knock you down, somehow God, in the midst of that season, because you're deeply rooted, allowed you to not just thrive, but to live fully. And so out of that season of sorrow, I wrote this book to just say that joy is more than a feeling, which God loves our feelings and cares about our feelings. But joy is a knowing. It's knowing where to turn. It's knowing whose we are. It's knowing that that plan that he spoke over your heart has not evaporated into thin air. It's knowing that Everything that God has ever spoken over your heart is still there and still true. And so I lived that for two years. I turned in the manuscript and then I got to live it another year. I've been going through breast cancer this last year. And so uh, I've got to live this message one more time. There's so many difficult things that we face in this life. And I mean, like cancer, um, part of my story is, you know, losing three babies to miscarriage and then losing my mom to suicide a few years later. And it's like that idea that like you get hit just one thing after the other and you have to choose joy. And I, and I think it's, we can't choose. I feel like from my experience, we can't choose joy if we're not fully connected to Jesus, the vine. When you just think about you mentioning the heat, he is joy. And I think about that heat that like when we're almost like, you know, right now we're in the middle of the summer, it's real hot out. And, you know, thinking about, you know, like the fruit on the vine, I live in, in the Central Valley of California where all this ag is happening and you see the fruit growing on the vine and the growth, the best, sweetest fruit grows during the summer. And it's because even in the middle of the heat, they're attached to the vine. And if we're not attached to Jesus, we're not going to be able to experience that joy um, or any of the other fruit of the spirit. So... Yeah. And, you know, I, I had to redefine even that statement, choose joy, because, you know, when I look at the story of the, the men in the fiery furnace, you know, in the midst of that, that's not a joyful time. I mean, they're in a place where the, it, it appears impossible. And somebody could have said to them in that moment, choose water, you know, choose water. But they couldn't choose water. They were in the fire. But 
when they looked over and they saw one who appeared as the son of man, in that moment they could choose Jesus. They couldn't choose water. Sometimes we can't choose joy. You know, when, when you're, and, and what you just described that you went through in that season, it would be almost impossible to just reach for and pluck joy from the sky. But you can choose Jesus. And you can choose to understand that he is in the fire with you. That he is not only a refuge and a safe place, but he's a place where you can express your grief. You know? That, that everything that he spoke over you, it hasn't disappeared in that moment. It's still there. And so I, there were moments for me that choosing joy was impossible. But choosing Jesus, I could do that. I'm sure that there's women that are watching this right now that they're in one of those seasons where it's like it just doesn't feel possible even to make it to the next day with you know whatever circumstances you're walking through maybe. But... I mean, if we all we can do sometimes is just choose Jesus. Jesus, I, I trust you and I'm going to lean on you even though I don't even know what that looks like. All we have to do is cry out to him and he's right there. Um, I do want to talk about, briefly before we talk about Joykeeper, I want to talk about um, in Spirit-Led Heart. Um, it kind of leads into Joykeeper a little bit. But you have this section um, called We Will Live in Truth. And I, I love it because you talk about some of the lies that we tell ourselves and this idea that Jesus speaks truth over those lies. It's amazing to me in my own life. I can look back and I can see half-truths and outright lies that had ingrained themselves into my heart and my soul as truth. And they dictated how I saw myself, how I saw God. They dictated taking healthy risk. They dictated what I thought I was worthy or capable of. And, you know, as I, as I begin to break these down in spirit-led heart, I had to have like these celebrations to stop and think, okay, Lord, I can absolutely see where truth set me free. But I want to read one up, just one of these. Is the lie is that um, that's just your lot in life. This is who you are. Basically, because of your background, because of what you have or don't have, this is what people like you are, and this is what people like you do. And so what happens is that can lead to the action of identifying with either the past, identifying with people's dysfunctional words placed over your heart or labels that are placed on you. And when we, when we confront that lie with the truth, the truth is I'm free to carve a new path even if generations before me went a different way. I'm free to carve a new path if a broken person put their broken words over my heart. I don't have to embrace the words of a broken person as my identity because that's not truth. And the truth is, when I look into Scripture, I am beloved. I am seen. You know, God pursues you and I. He woos us. He leaves the 99 to find the one. You know, and, and when I look at all of those truths in Scripture, and you got to be careful, Melissa, I'll start preaching, because this is like, my goodness, it's just the love that God has shown and continues to show and offers to us. And the fact that so many of his daughters have accepted a half-truth, which might be you came from brokenness, as a lie that says, well, I guess because you came from brokenness, God can't use you. That's a lie. I'm free to carve my own path as God leads. 
And my path is not defined by anybody else but God. I want to tell a really quick story, if that's okay. Um, whenever I was a new mom, I remember holding my daughter in my arms for the first time. And I come from generations of broken women. And I remember holding my daughter, and my prayer was this, Lord, help me not mess her up. <laughs> and yet, you know, if I look at the truth of this, I'm free to carve my own path. I wasn't going to be a perfect mom. I had a learning curve. There were things and people and communities and books and education that I needed around my heart and healing in my heart. But I could be exactly the mom that God wanted me to be. And, and God chose me to be for her. And then another time, again, the same theory, I was traveling. The Lord had opened doors for me to speak all over the nation and all over the world. And I'm still resisting him this whole time. This whole time I'm saying to him, okay, God, I'll do this. I'll do this. But listen, I know you got someone else who's better. You got someone else who's ready to do this. And I was in Wiesbaden, Germany. And I was about to speak the next morning, and this was the first time of a four-country tour that I'd had any alone time, and I got before the Lord, and I said to him, out of my brokenness, out of that lie I was still holding on to, and I said to him, Lord, thank you for opening this door. I will obey, but Lord, man, if you want to use somebody else, and the Lord just, there's a few times in my life when I can say that I know that I know that I know that the Lord was speaking to me. In my heart, and this was one of those, and what I sense the Lord saying is, while I appreciate your obedience, when in the world will you embrace who I made you to be? And I was just like, wow. You know, and that was a marker for me, Melissa. That was a changing point in my life where I stood in front of those women the next morning in Wiesbaden, Germany, and I didn't think to myself, Shake, you know, I was shaky. Certainly, I had nerves and all of that, but I wasn't shaking out of my own fear. I was thinking to myself, I get to do this. <laughs> I get to. I get to share the gospel with my neighbor, with these women, with my child, with one day my grandchildren. Lord, I get to do this. And it was a complete change because a truth came in and routed out a lie that wanted to shape the path that I was on and the way I saw myself, and it had to go. And there's freedom in that. And the Holy Spirit, that's his, you know, if you look at when Jesus talks, it says he will lead you into all truth. Um, I didn't think I was going to cry this morning. <laughs> you, I mean, you literally just spoke to my soul because, I mean, those are two of my lies is, you know, you're going to ruin or break your children because this is generational, as well as, you're not good. You don't have enough to do this. You are too broken to do this. And goodness gracious, I just, I know so many women that are feeling those same exact lies, whether they've come from broken homes or not. Um, and women that are in ministry that are doing God work. And yet they still feel this, this, again, this weight of, and I believe it's a lie from Satan that wants to keep us from doing what God has called us to do. Um, Again, you're really speaking right to me right now. <laughs> so I just, I think it's, it's as, you know, we've talked about this whole series, you know, this moving on so much of what we talked about is, is moving on from like our trauma, from our childhood and our, you know, the toxic relationships we've grown up in as well as, you know, sin that's been done to us. And I think Satan wants to use our past to hold us down and away from Jesus. 
And it's, I think it's what you've talked about in your book is this idea, if we can overcome these core lies and walk towards Jesus, he will help us to move forward as well as help others around us to move forward. So I just want to say something really quick. When Jesus climbed on that cross willingly for us, and it said he took all sin upon him, we always make that a very narrow definition of our sin. Listen, he took all sin. And that meant he not only took my sin, he took the sin, the weight of sin that was placed on me by somebody else's sin, and he broke that. And that was powerful to me to understand, Lord, not only do you heal my sin, but the burden that I carry from somebody else's sin, you wipe that out too, and you allow me to heal. And so that was just, again, a powerful moment and, and a time when I transitioned from, hey, I don't have to identify myself by somebody else's sin. I'm free from that. And not only that, my children will not be the benefactor of that. I'm unpacking. I am opening up this generational baggage that I've been carrying, and I'm going to take some stuff out that should have never been in there, and I'm going to repack with things. Maybe Maybe I'm repacking with how to handle conflict in a healthy way, or I'm repacking with seeing myself in a healthy way, but we unpack and repack. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the gospel is it's those lies that, again, have been in the world since creation. And we have the choice as parents to pass those lies along to our kids. And we have to be intentional with like, I mean, I think as a parent, if I'm not immediately grafted onto Jesus my parenting is, is going to be a, a train wreck. And, you know, it's something that as, as parents, especially we need to be rooted into him. Um, you did say something about, about Jesus willingly going to the cross. There's the verse in Hebrews 12 two where it talks about for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, that it was his joy to go for us. And that just like blows my mind. Cause like, that doesn't make sense. Um, it, it's Jesus' total dichotomy. Like it, it doesn't make sense that he would be joy, joyful in doing that for us. Um, I do want to really, I want to go into your book, Joykeeper. I love how you talk about, you, there's these six core lies that you really unpack and, you know, kind of showing um, the truth that God actually speaks over these lies. So um, would you mind just sharing what some of those truths are? So the whole concept of Joykeeper is that we move from what we feel to what we know. And again, just saying that what you feel matters to God. In fact, that's the first truth is that God cares about how you feel. So what you're feeling in that moment is that um, God is somehow sad because I'm sad. Or God is somehow sad because I'm confused, frustrated, angry, whatever, whatever the emotion is. And, and the truth is God not only cares about how you feel, he created you to feel. Those feelings are indicators of places where he wants to take up residence. So where do we go with them? We go to him and we don't hide what we feel from a God who loves us like crazy, you know? So the second Truth is, God knows who you're becoming, and thank goodness for that, because that's what we just talked about, is that what I feel is that I will never be enough, but this is the deal, is he's God, and he knows. He knows who you're becoming, and nothing is wasted. My backstory, though God grieves with me over my backstory, it's not wasted. 
When I sit across from someone and they say, I'm in this place and this is how I feel and God seems a million miles away, I can look at her and say, I know exactly how that feels. But I also know the other side. I know what God can do. And, and the third truth is that God is God and you are not. And honestly, I didn't write Joy Keeper to be about seasons that are just hard. Because you can hold on to joy so tight like a balloon, like you're going to pop it because you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And you're so busy juggling and, and trying to control things. So God is God and you are not. And what I feel is it's my job to hold the whole world together. It's my job to fix everything. I'm not going to let anybody I love fail, fall short, or flounder. And that's exhausting. It's exhausting. And so I talk about the concept of chalk line faith and releasing what is not your assignment so that you can step fully into what is. Number four is God is your safe place. And again, thank goodness for that. What I feel is insecure or unsafe. And what I have found is as the biblical, one biblical definition of joy is this, intentionally walking into the goodness of God. That's a biblical definition. And so during that two years, and then again the year after when I, when I walked back into a, a, a valley, um, I could intentionally walk into God's goodness over and over and over again. The fifth is God's goodness is greater. And here we talk about shame. What I feel is that I am bad. Whether that is because of somebody else's sin laid upon you, or is that your, your own choices or your own sin? And, and shame is a liar. Shame is, if I look at the toolbox of the enemy, that is one of his, he, he, it's a hammer. <laughs> it's a hammer and he pulls it out. And the whole intention of that is to knock you down and keep you doing from what God has called you to do and to keep you being from all God that knows, knows that you can be. And so that is something that we've really explored is that his goodness is greater and then last, the last truth that I found is that God has a seat for you. And what I feel like is I should be like her. And But there's a second caveat to this that this last year has shown me is the lie might be that maybe God's plans for me have changed. Maybe, maybe just maybe I didn't hear what he told me. And this last year as I went through breast cancer for the second time, and I had a double mastectomy and went through reconstruction and I was in a pandemic and I was being dropped off at a hospital <laughs> to go in by myself, you know, while my husband waited in a car anxiously outside. There were times I just said, Lord, we're in year number three of really hard stuff. And I know the calling I have on my life. I do. I trust it. There's still a seat for me. My what God has called me to do is not to be a speaker or a writer. Those are vehicles for what I do. God has called me to listen for his voice daily and say yes over and over again. That's my calling. Sometimes that leads in a lot of different directions. It has led into writing books, speaking, traveling, speaking, Bible teaching, blogging, podcasting, all those things. Awesome. But if those go away tomorrow, my calling is still to listen for his voice daily and say yes over and over again. And there were moments in this last year 
where I might be sitting with someone who looks at me and says, I don't get it, Susie. I don't get it. This is not fair. What you guys are going through and have been going through, this is not fair. Where is God in all of this? And I can look at her and say, listen, I want to tell you where God has been. He has been as close as a whisper. He has, he has walked with me. He has held me. He has brought people around us. And yes, there have been hard times and moments when I've asked the Lord, Lord, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I don't totally understand what's happening. But because of these truths, you are my refuge. You are a safe place. You know who I'm becoming. You are a safe place for me to share with you. And heaven help me if I had to go through this without him. But not only that, back to that verse, Jeremiah, I come out on the other side of this, but not only am I fruitful after, I'm fruitful in. I'm fruitful in the heat. I'm fruitful in the drought. It might look different than I thought it would, but it's not external. It's eternal. You know, he's doing something still yet. So these are the six core truths that we can come when the enemy says with a joy stealer. And I sprinkle these joy stealers all through the book so we can recognize them. And then we put these joy keeper truths right next to them, several of them all the way through. And we just, we hit it. We come back and say, take a step back. I know you're the accuser. I know this is your job. I know that you have a toolbox of tired old tricks that you've been doing from the very beginning. But listen, I'm a child of God. And truth is on my side. And not only that, it's a weapon. So you need to back up. Because right now, the Lord and I are going to have a session where I'm going to go in and I'm going to pour out my heart. I'm going to cry and I'm going to tell him all the things. And I'm going to walk out having been comforted, empowered, and seen. So take a step back. But that's, that's, those are the six truths. And like I said, we unfold them. I give you pause points where you can just sit alone with the Lord and unpack these so you can pack something back in so that we're not living as people without hope, but as joy keepers, because he promised us in John 16 that he would give us joy, his joy, and that joy could not be taken from us. We can have joy in the middle of trials, but only if we're leaning into God. And I, I mean, there's, oh my goodness, I just, there's, I can't, I'm like so overcome with emotion right now. I think, I mean, just this idea that we can really just come before God. And you mentioned it earlier that we kind of overcomplicate things and kind of saying, this is, this is how we have to come before God. This is what it has to look like. But I think a lot of it is whether we're in a season where we're on a high or we're, we're facing obstacles left and right, we're in like running through a hot valley. It's in both of those times that we can just come before God and tell him how we feel. And he's going to be right there in it with us. Yeah, and we don't even have to tell him that's the beauty of it. Matthew 6, 8 says that he knows what we need before we even ask. That takes so much pressure off me because sometimes I don't even know what I need. I just know I need him and that whatever I'm trying to do is not working. So I can show up and say, Lord, here I am. I've shown up and I'm just going to sit in your presence because you know what I need before I even ask. And I take comfort in that, you know, and usually what I think I need might look a little different to God. There's another verse too I really enjoy where it talks about, I should know that, I want to say it's in John, but it's, it talks about the Holy Spirit as, you know, he, he cries out to 
God with wordless groans because we don't even have words for, for how we're feeling. We're just feeling so devastated. But the, the Spirit not only knows our heart, but also perfectly knows the will of God because in you know the whole the Trinity, God, the Father, Son, and the Spirit are one. And we can, even in our, just where we're so broken, just being in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit will do that work in us and will give us what it is we need to sustain. And I, I think it's, you know, I think we connect with, with the Lord through prayer um, and his word, being able to put truth in. But I think also just being able to allow ourselves to be broken in his presence um, so we can really do this healing work um, and be able to not just heal and move on from stuff, but to move forward. So when we hit those other seasons of difficulty, the spirit has already been doing that work, building in us perseverance and character and hope. So we're, we're ready the next time it happens. One of the joy stealers that we often encounter is that we place greater expectations on ourselves than God does. And that's what you just described. You know, when we come to him, uh, and I love that verse too, that's one of my favorites. It, it's so awesome to know that the Holy Spirit who knows the heart of the Father over us already knows and, and, and he can convey that to him. But not only that, because he knows what the Father wants for us as well, he can convey that to us too. It's, it's a three-way conversation that's going on. And in that moment, it might be that the Lord's just saying, hey, sis, you know, you need to stop being so hard on yourself. Stop trying to make yourself lovable to a God who already loves you like crazy. You know, just, just accept that love, embrace that love, embrace that rest that I offer. And, and, Take those expectations that you've placed over your heart or maybe from bad theology or whatever, wherever you got them, take those off for a moment and let me lead here. Let me show you what I expect from you in this moment. And maybe you just need to take a nap. You're tired and I love you. Go take a nap. You know, so it can be as simple as that. But it also, you know, it, it when we approach God, if we could understand this, this truth, that God loves you, loves you, loves you. And there's no other version of that story. There's just not. I love that. And I think, I mean, our world tells us the opposite. Like it's so hard for us to accept it because we've been so taught that, you know, you're going to be loved by, you know, what you do for other people or your success or, you know, your strength or um, your intellect. I mean, there's so many ways that we use to feel loved. Um, because love with other people is conditional to some extent. And we don't know what it feels like to experience an unconditional love where we don't have to do anything. Even in our deepest sin, Christ died for us. That's how much he loved us with joy that he would, even in our most broken seasons, that he loved us unconditionally. There's just no other way to experience that other than God from what I, from my experience. And it's, I think when we can really fully grasp that love, it, it can change everything. Um, I do want to um, know if you had like one final key takeaway from your book that you would kind of want to leave women with. What I want you to know is that we all wrestle with this concept of joy. Uh, we've been painted a picture of what it should look like. And the joy that Jesus offers you is joy that is so deeply rooted that when you go through that storm, um, meet you in it, you know, 
And so maybe today you're looking and you've been beating yourself up because you say, I don't feel joy. And I would say we all have those days. We all have those times, those seasons. He still sees you. He's not disappointed in the fact that you're sad or mad or struggling with this. And I would say to you, if you've been turning away from him because out of some kind of belief system that God is disappointed in you, I would say turn around and run, <laughs> run, run, run as fast as you can into the love of God and let him know all the things and he will meet you there. And therein lies your source of joy and healing. I love that. I love that. Um, well, as we wrap up, um, obviously I, you have lots of books out, but um, again, my favorites are Spirit Led Heart and Joy Keeper. Would you mind sharing where people can find a copy of your book? Sure, you can find them. Uh, I know that like Barnes and Noble, BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, all the all the distributors online have them. And I have some freebies. You can read a free chapter at uh, JoyKeeper.me. Uh, and, and there you can find some other fun things. I love Bible journaling. It's one way I pray. There's a free Bible journaling kit you can, you can download. And so you can find out more there. Awesome. And we'll be, um, we'll also be giving away a free copy of Joy Cooper as well for listeners. So, um, stay tuned for more info on that. But, um, again, thank you so much, um, Susie, I'll call now we're friends. <laughs> um, thank you so much just for your time hanging out with us this morning and, um, really just speaking so much over my heart and I know for women that are watching this I, I hope this is an encouragement um, and if you really were touched by what we talked about today pick up a copy um, anywhere the books are sold so um, thanks for joining us and I will see you all next week